the line with us right now, waiting with uh, bated breath and doing something weird in the background. I can't tell. Uh, none other than our good friend, uh, your good friend, everyone's good friend, um, television writer, screenwriter, novelist, Jeff Abagov. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. Now, let me ask you a question. If you weren't doing this, uh, if you were doing this interview this morning, would you be up this early? Would you be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, or would you be schlepping around with coffee? Those are four different questions. So I'll, I'll pick one at a time. First of all, I don't think I'm ever bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Um, but yes, I would be up now. You'd be up, but you'd be like um, wandering about in a house coat muttering? Um, probably like watch, flipping around television or internet looking for something to watch so I don't have to start work yet. Are you a mutterer? Do you get up in the morning, walk around the house coat, and you go, Not as far as I know. Was your dad a mutterer? Was he, you get up morning, you're a kid, and dad's walking around with a coffee cup going, uh, Bill's. Nope. Yeah. I, I come from a long line of non mutterers, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, genetically, you were not, I think it's a genetic thing to, uh, to mutter. Now, it is. You, go ahead. Sorry, go on. Go no, ahead. you go ahead. You were going to say something witty. I, I probably wasn't. If I was, I would have insisted on not you going ahead. Uh, I, you know what? Therefore, I, you go ahead. You've never, you, you've never then experienced the joy of puttering and muttering. Um, I, 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 I can't say I've never done it. You know, I like to think I try most things at least once. <laughs> all right uh all right. well I, you know i you know give it some thought and, and we'll uh, uh I, I want i want you to give us a detailed analysis of it sometime in the near future why you did putter and mutter and what you took from it and why you don't do it anymore so uh i, I, I found it ultimately overrated <laughs> <laughs> i like you know when i finally decide okay tomorrow i'm gonna wake up and I'm going to mutter. And then after like, you know, five, ten minutes, it's like, this is it? Do you, That's all? Do you putter about? So here's something I can do in my house that you currently can't do. You've, you've been able to do it in the past. I'm able to get up in the morning, and I'm kind of wandering around a little bit in a fog. Uh, and there'll be something, I'll, 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 I'll stub my toe on a table, or I'll see something, I go, when did this get put here? And, you know, my wife would go, it's been there ever since we've lived here. And I go, oh, I don't remember it. See, and then I got someone to kind of blame for things. But you don't have that because you're by yourself right now. You can't go, who put that there? You're just, oh, it was me. Well, my imaginary friend's kind of a prick. Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss having so, uh, someone to live with to blame things on? Because that's the best reason to live with someone. Um, okay, I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, instead of having to deal with your own personal shortcomings, there's someone else, you go, you, you're the reason. So, uh... <laughs> In my experience, it's always going the other way. Yeah, that's when, uh, that's when... I'm, I'm the one who's blamed and criticized and... Okay. Well, now you realize that you were... Uh, you were Another like, thing I, I found overrated... <laughs> You were offering a great service to humanity during that time because uh, they needed that person to be there to blame, and that person was you. 
Yeah, but then why was I the one who ended up paying for it? Well, that's why you blame people to make them pay. Jeez. Okay. It's, it's like it's why you raise hell in a restaurant where you're with a bunch of people going. Yeah, yeah. Go, All right, you know what? What, 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 what was that? What it's, was why, that? it's why you raise hell in a restaurant when you're with a group of people. When you start complaining, somebody goes, "All right, you know what? Look, I'm going to pay for this." All right, if that's in that, there you go. I just wanted to shut him up. Uh, a lot of complaining is just about getting your way in that in a passive aggressive way. Like you'll probably start complaining about, about this show right now because of the direction it's taken this morning, but. Uh, Here's the question I wanted to ask you today, the primary question. So we start out the podcast talking about, for us, summer has begun. I did a little trip at the beginning of the week, grandkids over, pool, blah, 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 cleaned off the barbecue grill. So summer has begun, which means less, for a lot of people, traditionally less hours at work uh, than, than most of the year, except for you know possibly Christmas, but less hours at work. For those of us who are self-employed, as you currently are, as I am, less hours at work means oftentimes less income. So do you find it important to take like real vacation, vacation time first off, as a writer, as a creative person, do you make yourself take real vacation time? Oh, that was a question. I thought the question was going somewhere else. Uh, not I don't make myself um, because I'm kind of, you know, control my own schedule. And as I'm, let's say, about to finish whatever project I'm working on, as I start to see the end, I might say, hey, why don't I go, when I'm done, I'll go to blah, blah, blah. Or I don't have that thought, but I don't ever... Make my, I mean, if you make yourself do it, isn't that like work? Yeah, possibly. Jeez, I'm going to go, I'm going to make myself go to Paris and see lots of museums. And then you're walking around saying like, why do I do this? I don't want to walk around. I want to be on a beach. Well, so, for, for a lot of, for, for, the, uh, for workaholic types, sometimes the, uh, the, uh, what they're thinking is productive hours actually end up becoming not productive hours because it's, it's more of a, a compulsion with them and they almost have to force themselves so to uh, to enjoy themselves but you're right i i want to i want to uh, uh circle back to what the original but, question but, but i don't think i don't consider myself a workaholic in fact work might be the only thing i'm not an aholic of <laughs> <laughs> so but here's the here's the here's the more important question so uh as um, most people who write are not being they, they don't get a regular paycheck so, uh, I mean, there, there are people who write and get regular paychecks, and it's primarily in, I, I, I assume, uh, television. But most people who write aren't getting a regular paycheck. So, when summer comes and there is that pull, and because you're not getting a regular paycheck, you can set your own hours, you can kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, fool around in the margin of those hours. When summer comes and people are being pulled away from work, what do you do? How do you make yourself sit down and do it when maybe there's a whole bunch of fun outside? Everybody's going to the beach. Everybody's going on a cruise. Everyone's going here, and you want to do it. How do you make yourself work? What? How do you discipline yourself in that way? Um, it doesn't. The seasons don't really affect. Now, bear in mind, I'm originally from Montreal, and maybe working in Montreal where the winter is so horrible. And spring and summer, therefore, so wonderful. It might maybe 
people who live in places with bad winters have that, but living in Southern California, there there is the difference between winter and summer, but it's not a huge difference, so it doesn't really apply. Um, to me, it's just like finish the project. In fact, the, the one thing, going back to like the workaholic thing, the one thing that probably motivates me the most is just to be finished. Once, I, like I take a lot of, when, as, um, well, being self-employed, I take a lot of time between projects. Uh-huh. Um, but um, <clears throat> once I'm in it, and the cl- I, I just like, I want to be done with this. So that, that's one of the driving factors. All right, now then, then now let me ask you this because this is another kind of important question. So, um, do you find you'll be in the middle of a project? You're right, you're getting ready to write a new novel, but then seven other ideas flood your head. And what I see with a lot of uh, a lot of I see this with a lot of people, by the way, is what I'm asking. Where they will then begin the tangent off, where they got four or five projects going on and don't finish any of them. Is this an issue for you? And if so, how do you deal with it? Uh, it's not because, again, first of all, we're making the distinction between working on spec and working on salary. Yeah. When you're working on salary, you just do your job. Um, and in fact, I recently heard a great Patty, Patty Chayefsky quote. Yeah. Um, and he said, in terms of writing, don't be an artist, just do a good job. Yeah. If you're an artist, any, if you're an artist, anything you do will be art. If you're not an artist, at least you did a good job. <laughs> That's what you know. One of the greatest writers in television, television and film of all time. Yeah, uh, um, but anyway, another thing that um, so oh, to answer your question, so I'll like once I have an idea, and I'll maybe have several ideas, and often the that great idea comes to me at a time when either I'm not, I don't want to work or I'm not able to work and I'll just, or I am working on something else and I'll just try to get rid of it. And most of the time they go away. Sometimes they just, (laughs) and sometimes they just stay there. Like that, like, like a cheesy Disney song that you just can't get out of your head. And you say, oh, I could do that scene. Oh, I could do that chapter. Oh, this could happen. And they just, kind of builds and builds and builds. So by the time I say, okay, I'm going to write it, I already have a lot of it. And then if another idea pops into my head, well, no, I'm doing this one because I have more of it. All right. So what do you do with that other idea? Do you jot it down or you just go, be gone idea? Um, when just it's an idea when I said I'm just trying to get rid of it, yeah, I say be gone idea. You wish and I, I don't have time from you. Stop stalking me. <laughs> I don't have time for you now. Maybe I'll give you a call in a few months. Leave me alone. And the ones that are really good say, no, I'm not leaving you until you put me on paper. You become the Billy Mummy of writers and wish them into the cornfield? You're a bad idea. I do. <laughs> You're a bad idea. No, no, the bad ideas, no, the bad ideas go away on their own. It's the good ideas that won't leave. Have you ever had, I, I, I want to ask, this is, a, this is a fun question. This is a fun one. Okay. Have you ever had a horrible idea that you go, this is a horrible idea, yet you express the idea and everyone around you got excited about it and bought it or ran with it? 
Um, like on shows, yeah. I mean, except like sometimes on the show, when like especially towards the end of the season, everyone's a little stuck um, and burnt out, and you might say like, "Hey, here's a bad idea, but it's something. Maybe it'll spark something in someone else." So that occasionally happens working in a team, but working alone, I wouldn't have a reason to tell it to anybody. But yeah, in, in group settings, you often, even if you're just stuck on a joke, you might have a joke I- idea that, you know, this isn't funny, but hey, just kind of like throwing the volleyball up in the air and hoping someone else spikes it. I'll tell you why I'm asking. I have a friend who's worked, uh, most, uh, a, a, ver- a very dear friend who I've known since the 70s, and I'm not going to say his name in conjunction with this story. Um, uh and uh, he's worked primarily for most of his career as a ghostwriter. He's the guy where they'll send him a script and go, can you fix this part? You know, that kind of, okay. beca- that kind of became his job. Uh, he's written some things that have made it to the screen. None of the things he wrote at the screen went big, but uh, that's primarily his job. But one day he was at a production company pitching ideas, and they weren't buying anything. And he goes, I don't know why. He says, I don't know why I did this. He goes, but I kind of blurted out, a, um, a, a, a story that I'd seen on the old Chuck Connors TV show, Branded. He said, and how about if it's this? He goes, and I just changed it slightly. And uh, he goes, it was, I remember watching the show going, this is terrible. This show is terrible. This, this story is terrible. He goes, I don't know why I blurted out that bad idea, but they went, that's it. Write that. He goes, and he got paid more for that, spec, for that script than any other script he'd ever written. So he goes, it was, that's a, funny. It was a horrible idea. And they and they they bit into it. Uh, I think they made the film. I'm not even going to say, but um, <laughs> so you've never had that sort of experience where you go, "Well, here's the dumbest idea," and people go, "Hey," in your brain, you go, "This is a stupid idea," and somehow it slips out, and everybody goes, "Hey, that might work." Um, no, I mean, uh, other than in the context, I told it to you. Yeah, and and yeah, so in that context where I'd say, hey, this isn't good, but maybe it'll, it's, it's a beginning, it's a start, it, maybe someone else can, you know. Um, and people said, actually, Jeff, you're onto something, but we still kind of develop it in a group. But what specifically happened to your friend has never happened to me, nor would it, because I'm not in that kind of situation um, where I'm pitching movies. You might be I mean, the movies you don't know. I've written and the one move the movie I made was back. So um, you might be in that you know, position. I'm, it could happen. Life is wonderful, right? Jeff. Life, life throws us. It could happen. You could. Somebody could. I'm finding it hard to hear to understand you, Tony. Can you speak? I know, yeah. and I haven't before. Uh, um, I said it could happen. Well, it, it's just not how I work. I mean, I'm doing books. If I chose to write another screenplay, I would probably just spec it. All right. Tell me your worst idea right now. Uh, wow. I can't even think of a good joke to answer that. It's probably the oddest question you'll be asked in a level of creative. What I want to hear is your worst ideas. <laughs> Go and sit down with a guy. And he goes, "You're a great writer. That's why we brought you in." You start taking, "No, no, no, no. Those are we want to hear the most terrible idea you've got." <laughs> that 
that's a good sketch, man. <laughs> We're in the business. I don't know if you saw the title of the company. It's called Shitty Pictures. And we... <laughs> and, and they sell like hotcakes. You know, there is actually, I'm just thinking, this thing, I know this is crazy to go serious on something so funny. There is a kind of warped logic behind that. Someone who, let's say, has just phenomenal intuitions and gets his big pitch meeting and he works it and he works it and he works it and he works it and he works it. And by saying that, it's like, give me your worst idea. Give me the one you didn't work on. Just throw something out there. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. Well, you know, in, in music, for instance, uh, you know the song, na-na-na-na, hey-hey, good yeah. All right, the band that did that, the band was called Steam, and they didn't last long, but they were forced, in a sense, to put that on. That was the B-side of their single. It's when you were putting out okay. singles, and they didn't want to do it. They're going, it's a stupid song. You know, and that's why if you listen when the guy's kind of doing the talky part of it, he's not really putting a lot into it. And no one remembers what the A side is. The whole time they're doing it, it's just a stupid song. This is going to ruin us. It's a lousy song. And it became the massive hit. Right. And in the same regard, supposedly the uh, voiceover on Blade Runner, and most movies, as, as I've read, and, and you could tell me, um, that if you if you have to put a voiceover on a film, you haven't really done your job because you're really supposed to be telling it in pictures. But that's one where the voiceover worked. But Harrison Ford so didn't want to do it that he went in and just kind of goes, I did it as dead as possible, hoping they wouldn't put it on. And it actually kind of really helped create the character. Cool. Have I you didn't know that part. But by the way, to all um, budding writers out there, yes, um, Yes, that is the rule they say. You're not supposed to use narration. You're not supposed to use narration. But like all rules, it depends. I mean, my movie, The Mating Habits of the Earthbound Human, which is available on Amazon, um, is a parody of a nature film. And I, I, the premise is it's done as if one of those documentaries on the Nature Channel or Discovery Channel um, but as if made by aliens for other aliens about humans. The humans are the animal. So because I'm parodying something with narration, I had to use narration. It was built into yeah. the structure. Uh, other, there might be other reasons why a movie, a screenplay, would require um, uh, where the narration would be correct. So just to clarify, that is the rule, but it's not... All, all rules aren't really rules, even though some people say they're rules. I mean, one of the greatest movies ever was Pulp Fiction, which doesn't follow any of the rules of structure, and it's amazingly structured. And and uh, like Goodfellas has uh, narration in it. It's one of the it's one of the great films. So, right. But here, I want to ask you a question. Then, uh, uh, these, these are two experiences you've had as a writer. And I want to ask you about this. So you wrote for television. You wrote for great shows. You wrote for uh, Cheers. You wrote for Roseanne. It's first go around. You wrote for Grace Under Fire. Many, many more. And then you shifted into novels. And your two books, Zombies versus Aliens versus Vampires versus Dinosaur and Time Travel for Love and Profit. And I have to admit here that uh, why I, it's not that I, I'm not going to complete either novel. It's just I 
my my business is so fragmented. I'll go. I got a half hour to read, and I'll read, and somebody will call and go, "Hey, no tickets are being sold." Like, I got to put the book down. But they're great books, and I've told people, I go, if you're looking for uh, uh, summer, so this is why I tell them this. If you're looking for a great summer read, pick up either one of these novels. Uh, you have to read. So in sitcoms, tell me if I'm wrong. I'm just going to put out my theory, and then you explain if I'm right or wrong and how it goes, how it works in your mind. In a sitcom, it's primarily dialogue. You know, you're on, you're on a, um, usually on a single set or a couple of sets in a sitcom, and it's characters uh, interacting, and it's a situation comedy, a comedy growing from a situation. So a lot of dialogue. In a novel, it doesn't seem that a lot of dialogue works, because to write that, a constant back and forth for five pages to two characters doesn't seem to work. And most of it seems to have to be narration with a little dialogue or a lot of internal dialogue. Would you say that I'm correct in these assessments? And if not, tell me why I'm not. Um, overall, I think that you, overall you're correct. I think you're on the novel side, maybe um, uh, a little extreme. Um, there are times like uh, uh, Joseph Heller was great at having a couple of pages of dialogue, mm -hmm. but they have to be done. I mean, what, one of the things you have to, <laughs> I've learned the hard way is when you're writing dialogue in a novel, could this be said outside of dialogue? Because one thing dialogue does, in addition to the wittiness of the cleverness or whatever you're going for, is um, it gives the characters a voice. Okay. I mean, when, when you're describing a character, you're just using adjectives. He's tall, he's short, he's fat, he's thin, he's from the South. You give him a bit of an accent, you, the reader goes, oh, I know who that guy is. Yeah. You give him a certain attitude, a sarcasm. Like, seeing someone being sarcastic tells you more than saying, he's sarcastic. Yes, yes. So sometimes the dialogue helps frame the character. Now, you're right, if you do it too much, then it feels like you're reading a script. So you have to, like, again, does this section have to be in dialogue? And if the answer, for whatever reason, advances the story, it's more efficient to say it in dialogue than it is in, um, in narrative, or what, whatever the reason. If the answer is yes, do it in dialogue. Okay, so, uh, good, good. Now, one final question. And by the way, I just, I just want to say this that um, you and I, um, we, we talk quite a bit um, throughout, the, you know, throughout the week on a regular basis and have for years, you know, shoot the breeze as pals. You know, and, and, and those conversations are a couple of pals shooting the breeze about politics or food or whatever, what people talk about. Uh, one of the things I love about these Friday morning chats is that not only do I get to talk to a person who's a friend of mine who I like and admire, but I think our listeners are learning stuff and I am certainly learning stuff. So here's kind of like, and I just want to tell you that, and that's why... Um, Thank you. And one of the things I love about it, some, I mean, yes, I too love our regular, not like off-the-air conversations, but in this one, I get to totally monopolize the conversation, which is cool. I hardly get a word in edgewise otherwise. Oh! Uh, you know, I'm going to record. <laughs> some night, when you and I are talking, I'm going to record. And then, <laughs> Just a playful jab I among know. friends. I know. So here, here's the, have you ever, uh, uh, so you wrote, you wrote for actors for most of your career, and you're writing for mm -hmm. specific actors. Have you ever then written something and then had them do it, and they do it completely different than it's in your head, 
and it's either A, 10 times better, or B, 10 times worse? Yes. Uh, so. <laughs> both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> and when it's ten times when it's ten times better, you're just delighted, uh-huh. and and you you know unless you hate them, you thank them. <laughs> um, and if it's ten times worse, you take a couple of stabs. Maybe like why is it? Ten, did they just not get it? Yeah. Is it just something not in their wheelhouse? You take a couple of tries at them doing it the way you hear it, and. If it's still, oh, I got it from 10 times worse to 8 times worse, cut it and replace it. Have you, have you ever, yeah, that's why there's run-throughs and rehearsals, and you uh, see, hey, this isn't working as well as we thought. In, your, in, the, uh, in a movie that both, uh, that both of us love, which is my favorite year, we both love that movie, mm-hmm. which is a, a fictionalized version of Errol Flynn appearing on Sid Caesar's Your so, Show of Shows. There's a scene where uh, uh, Joseph Bologna, who uh, was playing the Sid Caesar character, walks out during a run-through rehearsal, you know, onto the studio stage. There's no audience, but all the writers are there. And he goes, I smell, I smell something weird. There's something in it. Something smells like shit. It smells like shit. And he, goes, he has the papers. And he goes, oh, it's this script. Yeah. And is massively abusive, which many people said Sid Caesar was. Sid Caesar claims he doesn't remember most of the time because he was drunk the whole time. Have you had to deal with that in your career, that sort of abusive, domineering behavior, and how do you handle it? Um, yes. Um, I don't want to dwell too much no, on no. that kind of stuff. All right, so but, let, let, um, me, let, let me reframe the question. What would you tell a young writer who came to you and go, I have this job, the boss is really overly demanding to the point of being abusive, yet I want to keep the job, how would you tell them to handle the situation? Um, well, in terms of like, because over-demanding and abusive are two very different things. Um, I've also had bosses who were wonderful people who were over-demanding of everyone around them because they were so over-demanding of themselves. Okay. So, yeah, they would be in the office 16 hours a day, so you had to be in the office 16 hours a day, but that's different than, you pieces of shit, I'm going to play golf and you'd be in the office 16 hours. So, so to deal with the abusiveness, try, your, try, try not to take it personally. That's all you can do. Um, imagine whatever the notes you got were, imagine them said nicely, but you still have to do the same job. If someone just said to you, hey, Tony, you know, I know you worked really hard. This just isn't working for me. I need you to change it you'd still be a little hurt because you must have thought it was good. Yeah. But you go back and you do your job. So just try. The people who do that are typically schmucks. So because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be abusive. You yeah. have to get what you want, but you don't have to be mean to people. So don't, you know, don't let them get to you. Now that said, that's, it's not easy to do. But it's all you can do. Or quit, but you don't want to quit. You know what? I think uh, I, I think it's good advice in general. That's what we're going to end on today: is uh, don't be a schmuck and don't abuse people. So, and you can still get what you want. So, um, we ought to we ought to send that on a postcard to sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. So, <laughs> <laughs> to 
too many words for him. You won't read it. Too many words. <laughs> we'll do it in crayon. All right, Jeff, I will talk to you later on this week. We will talk about uh, uh, cabbages and kings throughout the week personally. And then uh, I look forward to having you back on next Friday. We're getting real close to when we're going to announce um, uh, when you're going to come out here. For all of you aspiring writers and creative people, uh, and if you want to uh, really uh, be able to sit down one-on-one, uh, not one but sit down personally and uh, talk with someone and listen to someone who has done everything that you want to do, uh, we're going to bring Jeff out here and make that, uh, make that a reality for you. Mr. Abagoff, thanks a lot. You have a great weekend. Thank you, Tony. Bye, everybody. All right. That was, uh, that was you know what? That was good this morning. That was, I mean, it, it's always good when we speak with him. But uh, a lot of great stuff for aspiring writers right there. Uh, we're going to bring him out, and he's going to do a, um, like a full-day seminar for uh, writers and aspiring writers. We're going to have him out here uh, late fall. But uh, if you listen carefully to these podcasts, you're picking up a lot of the stuff that uh, naturally, you know, if you're going to bring someone out, you have to charge people just to cover the cost of that. But uh, you can get a lot of it free right here. And uh, you know what I'm going to get uh, right after this? I'm going to get a free breakfast. Because um, you know why? Because we're going to have it here at home. So, <laughs> and I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Hey, folks, I want to thank you for listening this morning. If you listened, if you didn't listen, I want to thank you for uh, this morning. I want to thank you for downloading later. If you have listened, please tell your friends, your families, your neighbors, your pals to uh, download this American Podcast Comedy Edition. I don't know who's at Rick Bronson's this week because I was out of town. It's crazy. But if you're looking for uh, always a great, uh, a great time and great shows at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, I do have to mention this. Just this last Tuesday, just this last Tuesday, while I was in... Uh, Los Angeles doing a uh, comedy store tonight with Argus Hamilton. Uh, our dear friend and funny person, Mary Upchurch, won one of the more prestigious comedy contests here in the Valley of the Sun. She won Rick Bronson's Funniest Person with a Day Job. And congratulations to Mary Upchurch for that. That was like, like three pieces, three good things happened Tuesday. I got two good pieces, two great pieces of information. Mary Upchurch had won that contest. Michael Longfellow is going to be on NBC this summer. And, uh, and I got to uh, uh, reconnect with my old friend, Argus. So um, it's been a great week so far. It's going to be a great weekend. I hope you have a great weekend, too. Tonight, come on down and see Class Clowns. Saturday and Sunday, go out to Rick Bronson's House of Comedy. Go see a comedy show. You deserve it. Uh, for my producer, who happens to be my wife, Shirley Lovisic, and for our entire crew, uh, Roscoe and Chica, which happen to be our dogs, uh, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, this uh, this show has been dedicated to uh, Captain Trips and the Strange Brew crew, who I found out um, has shuffled off this mortal coil, uh, I guess, sometime back. He had moved. I lost track of him. And uh, Captain, if you're listening, nice. That was his signature. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>